Welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast, interdisciplinary conversations about new works in the broad world of business research. I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast or sharing with others who might like it too. And if you have ideas for future episodes, let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Our guest today is William Magnuson, Associate Professor of Law at Texas A&M University. We'll be discussing his recently published book, For Profit, A History of Corporations, which as we're recording today on December 20th, is the number one bestseller on Amazon in the corporate law category. And the book was also included in the Financial Times' list of the best economics books of 2022. William, welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast, and congratulations on the book. Thank you so much for having me on, Andrew. It's really a pleasure. Before we start talking about the book itself, I wondered if we could maybe step into the writer's studio. Could you tell me a little bit about what prompted you to write this book? Tell us a little bit about your historical process. And you span a lot of history in just a few hundred pages. You go from the Roman Republic to Facebook in the current time. That must have been a challenge to span that much history. But I wonder if you could talk about how you approached the task and what led you to pursue this challenge. Uh, this is a, a book that I have been thinking about for a very long time. It goes back to my time working in corporate law at Sullivan and Cromwell. At the time, I was working in the mergers and acquisitions group there and was spending my entire life devoted to promoting the interests of companies and large corporations. And always throughout my time there, I thought, what am I doing? What is the purpose of these institutions that we've created? And what does it mean for society? And so after I came back into academia and started being a corporate law professor, I started working in the back of my mind on this project. One of the things that I discovered, there's much great writing on the history of corporations, but it wasn't exactly the type that I wanted to create. My father is a novelist, and so I grew up on reading stories and books. So I wanted to write a book that explored the history of corporations through stories and in particular stories that marked these moments in time when both the history of corporations changed, but also the history of societies and nation states changed. And that was the idea behind the book. Let's take a look at how corporations have evolved from their origins in ancient Rome through the Medici Bank and Renaissance Florence to the East India Company and Elizabethan England and all the way up through to America today, and I focused in the last chapter on Facebook. And so one of the things that, that I really enjoyed about the book was digging into the stories of who were these executives that created these companies, what it was like on Henry Ford's assembly line. And so that was the purpose of the story was to tell what life was like in these corporations, how they changed the world. You decided to tell the story, the history of corporations through these eight stories that focused on particular times and places, starting with ancient Rome and then ending in our current day, focusing both on the story, but also on the thematic or the theoretical importance of those stories. Could you maybe outline the corporate law theory that you're also capturing in this history of the corporation, starting with maybe Rome and ending with Facebook? What are sort of the big themes you cover? The book has two general purposes. One is simply to tell the facts, right? The history of corporations and explore how they've changed over time. But the second is I did eventually come up with a thesis and an argument. I didn't begin with one. I should know that. I did not go into this project thinking that this is the argument I want to make in telling the history of corporations. But eventually, as I explored all these large, successful companies over time, I did eventually come up with a core argument that the book seeks to make. And that is that the purpose of corporations, when they were initially created and for most of history, 
has been to promote the interests and the common good of their nations. And so that is the core argument that the book makes. It's a difficult argument to make today. I think that today it is not just not obvious that companies should promote the interests of their societies, but it's also even considered, I think, controversial to make that point, right? We oftentimes hear that the, the purpose of a corporation is to maximize shareholder value. And in fact, almost every year in my corporations class, I ask my students in the first class, what do you think the purpose of a corporation is? And invariably, people say it is to maximize profit. But when you look at corporations through the lens of history, I think that it becomes clear that societies didn't create corporations just to promote the interests of the shareholders. There were greater stakes at issue. When you look back at the Medici Bank, why was it that the Renaissance Florence and the Signoria created these Ocheta and Comandita is what they were called then. Why did they create them? They were looking after the interests of the Florentine Republic and the East India Company, right? Why did Queen Elizabeth create and charter the East India Company and other large joint stock companies? It was to promote the greatness of their nation. And so I think when you look at corporations in the historical lens, that core argument about what the real purpose of corporations, why we created them in the first place, that becomes clear. I'd like to return to the controversy over the purpose of the corporation in just a moment, but I'd love it if you could give the listeners a little bit of a taste of what they could expect when they read this book. And you have these eight stories, these kind of pivotal moments that you identify in the history of the corporation. Is there a favorite case study or story that you worked on or one that you consider particularly important or meaningful that you might be able to give us a little bit of flavor or detail on? In a way, of course, I love all the chapters. Each of them is important to me, and I enjoyed researching them. But for me, I think one of the stories that really sticks in my mind is a story that Livy tells about the ancient Roman Republic. And he tells a bit about 215 BC. This is in the middle of the Second Punic War, the war between Rome and Carthage. This is a this massive conflict that spanned from the shores of Spain to the sands of Tunisia. And Rome, in 215 BC, Rome and Carthage had been at war for decades. But finally, in, in 215 BC, under the leadership of Hannibal, who was the Carthaginian general who had crossed over the Alps with his army of elephants, it looked like things were going well for Carthage. Right? Hannibal had defeated a succession of Roman armies who had been rushed into the field to meet him. And the Rep Roman Republic really was at this dangerous position, right? It suffered loss after loss. Its army was decimated. It had no way to defend its territory. And Hannibal was just roaming freely through southern Italy. And the story of how Rome recovered from those defeats is familiar to those who have studied ancient history, right? The, it's basically the famed Fabian strategy, which was a strategy to avoid the large set battles that they had lost so much and instead engage in small skirmishes to prolong the war. But less well known in that affair is the role of capitalists in allowing Rome to keep that war effort alive. So in 215 BC, when Hannibal was at loose in Italy, Publius Cornelius Scipio who was the father of Scipio Africanus, wrote to the Senate from Spain with some bad news. His armies were short of supplies and he was unable to either pay or feed his troops any longer. And if Rome didn't send him any supplies, he said, he would lose the army in all of Spain. But the Senate, the Roman Senate, found itself in this difficult position because its treasury was essentially empty. And so as a last resort, the Senate made a plea to the people of Rome. If the Roman citizens would supply Scipio's troops, they would be repaid from the Roman treasury when it was eventually replenished. And in response, Livy writes, three companies, or societates in the original Latin, three companies of 19 members came forward 
and agreed to supply the necessary provision. In return, they only asked that they be exempted from military duty and that if they lost their cargoes at sea, the state would make them whole. Senate agrees to those terms. The companies followed through on their promise and the company's efforts went off without a hitch. Soon Scipio's army had its supplies and they were able to go on the offensive and defeat Hasdrubal and Hannibal. So I think that gives you a sense of the ancient beginnings of the Roman company, right? Was that there was this idea that we needed companies and capitalists, the power and the wealth of capitalists to supply the government with services, to keep it going. Uh, and Livy writes, ultimately, he concludes that these capitalists were motivated by love of country. And so I think that gives you a little bit of the sense of why we created corporations in the first place. And if you'll allow me to break the rules a little bit and add one other favorite chapter, one of the chapters that sticks with me is the history of KKR, the private equity firm. It's this fascinating story. It was founded in 1976 by these three investment bankers. And the basic idea behind private equity and their firm was that corporations weren't working. In the 1970s, it was an era of the conglomerate, these giant corporations that owned completely unrelated businesses. A classic example was RJR Nabisco, which was a tobacco company combined with a biscuit company, right? These things don't seem to have much in common with each other. KKR's idea was corporation isn't working. It's leading to all these problems. We need to fix it. And the way that they fixed it was through the levered bio. We're going to use lots of debt and we're going to go out and acquire these poorly run corporations, turn them around, make them more profitable, and then sell them for a profit. So it was a way to fix capitalism, to fix corporations, to fix what was going on that was not effective, not efficient in the system. And it worked remarkably well. They turned enormous profits for decades, and it spawned this entire industry of private equity that we're all living with today. It also faced headwinds. Its model was based on debt, and it required cheap debt. Nowadays, we're facing a world where we do not have cheap debt, right? Where interest rates and inflation are soaring. So it's creating problems for the basic private equity model. It's also something that has great public significance because over time, KKR realized that the best place to raise these funds to invest in poorly run companies was from institutional investors like pension funds and endowments. So nowadays, all of our pension funds, all of our endowments are heavily invested in private equity. So our retirements are tied up in how well these industries do. And so this is a really important moment in the history of private equity as well as corporations. History is somewhat of a foreign country, but I'd like to maybe connect that foreign country to our own country today. There's a lot of criticism in the air of corporations or business entities writ large from really folks from all walks of life or ideological positions. I wondered if this contemporary, maybe adversarial relationship we see between members of society or the public with the corporation is a normal feature, historically speaking. Can you maybe talk a little bit about the relationships that previous societies had with the corporations that were part of their culture, of their society? And does that leave us with anything to reflect on today? I think that is an important point that while we can talk about the reasons and the rationales behind society's creation of corporations, that they were created to promote the common good throughout history, that does not mean that they have, in fact, actually promoted the common good. And certainly history tells us that over and over again, they have abandoned that mission and created real harm. Even within the Roman example, Livy also talks about a couple companies during the Punic War who apparently were defrauding the Roman Senate. It is a constant in the history of corporations, right? We create them to pursue this good. And they're actually quite efficient, effective at doing that, but they also at times lead to fraud, corruption, oppression. So there, it has always been a complex 
relationship. Another important story that I think is important to remember is Medici Bank. So the Medici Bank was a Renaissance Florence. It was the most powerful financial institution of the day. It counted as its clients, the Vatican. It counted as its clients, some of the most powerful nobles, emperors, and kings of the day. But eventually it was overthrown. And why was it overthrown? Within the government of Florence, it was seen to be promoting the interests of itself over those of the society. In the end of the 1400s, there was a a French invasion and they effectively cooperated with the French. And so when the Florentines learned about this, they exiled the Medici Bank. And within a few years, Savona Rofriar was launching bonfires of the vanities and the piazzas of of Florence saying that, look what we've created. Look at this wealth and luxury and sin that's pervading our society. We need to respond to that. And so I think that's another great example of how corporations can be created for one purpose, but they can oftentimes lead to defeating that purpose in reality. You close the book with somewhat of a hopeful view of the purpose of the corporation in society. You say that this book isn't intended to reach some contrarian finding or argument, but in some ways that hopeful view of corporate purpose is perhaps a little bit contrarian. Could you maybe share why you might be somewhat hopeful or cautiously hopeful about the corporation when so many others are pessimistic about corporate America? And with that optimism in mind, is there any advice that you would offer to corporate executives or directors for understanding how their company should embrace their social goals rightly understood? If they were taking your introductory corporate law course and you ask them first thing, what's the purpose of the corporation? What lessons would you want them to take away from your corporations class? That's a great question. I am optimistic about the future of the corporation and the future of the corporation and society. And the reason why I am is that when you look at corporations through history, you not only see the sort of the fraudulent and the oppressive, but you also see the magnificent and the tremendous accomplishments that they have made. Ancient Rome, they helped supply the army. They built the roads and the temples and the aqueducts. And Renaissance Florence, they created this great flourishing of artists, created an economy that spanned the continent. And the East India Company, they were trading with uh, lands thousands of miles away across seas. One of the stories that I, that we haven't really talked too much about American corporations today. And so one of the stories that I think is most incredible is the story of Henry Ford and his Ford Motor Company. He founded it in 1903. And at the beginning, he was just with a couple of workers, was making these basically out of a garage near his house. He was making one every few days. But within a few years, by 1913, he had created the Model T. They were pumping out 10,000 of these cars a day. It was just an incredible accomplishment. And I think that gives you a sense of the power of the corporation, right? The corporation, it is a unique vessel for getting people together and getting them to work together towards a common end. And I think that's a really important feature of the modern economy as well, right? Today, we have incredibly powerful corporations, corporations that dwarf the power of any corporation that came before them. You think about Facebook that has billions of users. The decisions of the few engineers over in Silicon Valley can affect the entire world, right? These are tremendously powerful corporations and they have this capacity to make products that can benefit us all. And so I think that is the lesson that I take from the corporation, the history of the corporation, is that there is this tremendous power of corporations and in humans to cooperate. So that's why I'm optimistic about it. At the same time, I do think it's worthwhile to think about the areas in which we can improve a corporation. So one of the things that we talk about a lot in my corporate law class and generally in corporate law scholarship is about the idea of the invisible hand. 
that the market operating on the interests of individuals will lead to the betterment of society. And so I think it's worthwhile to think about, is that true? Where is it true? And where might it not be true? Where might the invisible hand fail to do its job? And at the end of the book, I talk in the final chapter about some areas where I think it is worthwhile for both corporate executives and government policymakers to think twice, right? Where there might be a short-term incentive to pursue one policy or make one type of business decision, but it might be actually be worse for society. Just to give you a couple examples of this, pretty well known, for example, market failures, right? Where there's a monopoly that might be in the interest of a corporation to pursue a monopoly. Not so great for the world if that happens, at least in most scenarios. More recently, there's been this phenomenon, the sort of Silicon Valley startup that comes and dominates the world, that move fast and break things ethos of Facebook. And I think that's another area where we need to step carefully because corporations, because they're now so powerful and their actions are so immediate, when Facebook changes its algorithm, it can be pushed out to billions of users around the world. Those consequences can reverberate very quickly and create harm. So I think that's another area where corporations need to be very mindful about taking decisions when they have such tremendous consequences. They need to not move too fast and not break too many things because the harm can be very high. In your chapter about KKR, there was uh, what I viewed as a reference to the book Barbarians at the Gate, one of the great M&A or corporate books that has really had a lot of staying power over the years. And it got me thinking about the legacy that you hope to have for this book. It's obviously just been published, but what role do you hope this book to play in the years to come as it's on people's shelves and people are consulting it and perhaps still buying it from Amazon for years to come? One thing that I hope that readers and listeners take away is that corporations are about so much more than just profit. Throughout history, we've seen them play this important, essential role in important moments, right? Moments when history changed, when nation states changed, when businesses and economies changed. And oftentimes that role is a positive one. There are these great vessels for bringing people together to cooperate. And I think that's a cause for optimism. I also think that it's important to remember the limitations of corporations, right? They're these very powerful vessels, but they can also be used for bad ends. And sometimes they create incentives that are not great for the individuals who are actually making decisions. And so we need to be mindful that the invisible hand is not perfect, that it fails and it doesn't reach its goals. And that means that corporate executives need to be mindful. They need to be thinking for the long term. They need to be thinking about interests beyond simply those of their shareholders or the short term. It means the government policymakers have to be thinking about these issues as well. They can't simply take for granted that markets are going to lead to efficient results. I think those are the key takeaways that I hope that readers and listeners will, will take from the book. Our guest today has been William Magnuson, Associate Professor of Law at Texas A&M University. We've discussed his recently published book, For Profit, A History of Corporations. I'll add a link to the book in the show notes for the episode. William, thank you for joining the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Andrew. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Scholarship Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast or leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app, or let other people know about it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Until the next time, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. Andrew Jennings.